0: We left off at verse 12. We go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the scriptures. And so you always know where we're going to pick up. And that is verse 12 of chapter 4 this morning. Let's ask the Lord for his help. Now, Father God, as we get started seeing all the wonderful things that you began to say and do and teach there in the Galilee, we are open for correction, for comfort, for instruction, for wisdom and guidance. Your word is alive. It's living and sharp and ready to do its good work in our hearts. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are off and running here now in Matthew's gospel, as I just said. Gospel, yes, meaning good news. God has not left the world to its own doomed Devices. He has intervened in time and space. Through a virgin's womb, he incarnated himself through the Son to be the God-man to come and save us. And last week, we saw Jesus being baptized, not for his own sins, not for sins that he committed, but because he would become the sin-bearer sinless one, made to be sin, your sin and mine, heaped upon him that we might become right with God. And so John the Baptist introduced him, you'll recall, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And with sin out of the way, then there's no need for death because we die because we have sinned. But if our sins are paid for, there's no more cause for guilt or shame or death, or judgment, the old things have passed away. And so as we saw last time, God the Son comes up out of the water, God the Father speaks from heaven, God the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, the triune God seen there, the three in one, all together working as one to save the world. So after the baptism, now for a little context before we pick up. The battle, first the baptism and then the battle, because he has to be tested. Uh, You know, the voice from heaven just said, this is the one. He's my son, the beloved one, the sinless one in whom I am well pleased. And now in order to win us back and die for our sins, he's going to have to be morally perfect and be who God just said he was. And he went against the devil 40 days, 40 nights, and prevailed. And now, tried and true, the Messiah is ready and willing to begin his ministry, heading to the cross with our sins heaped upon his shoulders. But in the meantime, he's going to say a lot and do a lot of beautiful things. And it's time to take a look at now three areas here in Matthew 4 that Matthew will sum up uh, that uh, shows us how Jesus' ministry began. And these three paragraphs uh, are what we're going to be looking at. I'll just tell you ahead of time, note takers. Uh, first, we look at Jesus begins preaching 12 through 17. Jesus begins calling disciples, 18 through 22, and Jesus begins healing. Now, these are stories most of you have heard uh, hundreds of times. They are very familiar and well-loved to us. But uh, this morning, I think that you will uh, see uh, something a little bit different, a little bit fresh as I point out and ask you to pay attention and observe by contrast the American gospel, the American false gospel, the gospel has been corrupted and it's all around us. And it is so easy to see by these three simple scenarios that things have changed from when they first came about there with Jesus, the Son of God's ministry. And so, of course, that was prophesied in the New Testament that in the latter days, which we're in now, that people would not want to hear sound doctrine, but they would rather heap up uh, teachers for themselves to say what their itching ears want to hear. And so you'll see the simple things that uh, Jesus begins preaching. And he begins calling and he begins healing. And every single one of these simple truths has been corrupted and misapplied and misunderstood. And so we're going to dive in now with the beginning to preach verses 12 through 17. Let's do that. When Jesus heard verse 12 that John had been put in prison, so he's no longer baptizing. He's in a dungeon there. He, Jesus, returned to Galilee, leaving Nazareth, which was his hometown, for 25 years. He now is moving and living in Capernaum, which will be home base, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun, the ancient tribal name for that area, and Naphtali as well. To fulfill what was said through the Old Testament prophecy through Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan River, Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 16, the people, now he's quoting Isaiah chapter nine, verses one and two. Verse 16, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. So verse 17 from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And so let's pause there. We'll get to the other two paragraphs, Lord willing. So Jesus will begin his ministry here, right? Where exactly <clears throat> the location where the Old Testament said he would. And this is now Matthew 6th quote and reference from the Old Testament, as most of you have heard, that Matthew is writing with the view of the Jewish people, and his job is to show how the Jewish Messiah has come to Israel in fulfillment of 62 different prophecies. And if you count the indirect prophecies that he mentions, you're going to get somewhere to 100 times saying, this happened because it was written a hundred times. And so very impressive that God gives us a gospel that's verifiable. You can verify this truth by looking at the odds of 300 Old Testament prophecies, like where the Messiah would uh, do most of his ministry and turns out to be exactly where Jesus lived. And so verse 12 tells you that John the Baptist has been removed from the scene because he denounced King, if you want to call him a king, he loved to be called a king, uh, Herod, uh, Herod Antipas, and uh, he called him out for um, yeah, having an affair with his brother's wife. And so his brother, uh, his wife, Herodias, did not like to be publicly shamed and had John. Arrested, And so John the Baptist had faithfully completed uh, his work that God gave him to do to introduce Jesus. So the devil's a little bit late in, in trying to stop his ministry from happening, already been there, done that. And so John <clears throat> is now in prison. Uh, but his job was to, in, in Elijah-style Elijah form, to be the voice in the wilderness, introducing the Lord's ministry with the same exact message, by the way, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, John was successful. Sinners were making a beeline for him, but Right before John got put into prison there, and by the word, that whole put in prison has a a word that means to be betrayed. And so something very insidious happened there with John's arrest. And so uh, John's disciples... Came to John right before he was arrested and said, Rabbi, the man that you (laughs) testified about, now he is baptizing and everyone's going to him. And John the Baptist said, "That, that makes me happy. Why wouldn't I be happy about that? I told you I wasn't the Christ. And so I am uh, filled with joy. My joy is now complete. And then he said those famous lines, he must become greater, I must become less. And part of the way that happened is is that his ministry diminished and then he was arrested and off the scene, his ministry was over. One writer said this, all Jesus followers must come to the same sobering realization as John. When we come to know Jesus, it's not about us anymore. Our personal agendas and self-serving ambitions must decrease, and his life in us must increase. God becomes greater, and we become less. And that's what Jesus said. Whatever you do, don't find yourself. Because if you find yourself in this life, you'll lose yourself. You need to lose yourself and find Christ. And in doing so, die with him. You'll be raised to new life. Then you will know who you really are. John knew that, and he's locked away now, awaiting martyrdom. The graphic details are to come in chapter 14. And now with John removed, Jesus withdraws, and he goes north. The first one should be Galilee, Yes, the word Galilee means circle, it comes from a word that means circle. There was an upper Galilee and a lower Galilee, and so the prophet said it would be in the circle, right? And then he goes on, this is, of course, the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, so Galilee is called out, Galilee of the Gentiles, and the reason it's called Galilee of the Gentiles is that it's a border area. So you already have Syria, Lebanon to come over here. Jordan is right across. So all the Gentiles were right on the border. And so this will play into the understanding of why uh, Galilee was despised. Let me show you Naphtali and Zebulun. Those are the ancient tribal names of the allotment. So anyway, Zebulun and Naphtali cover both areas. Zebulun uh, is where Nazareth is, and Naphtali is where Capernaum is. So you have both of the tribes called out for where the light of the world would spend 25 years in Nazareth, and then his three and a half years is based in Capernaum. There at the north side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, I'll just show you modern day Capernaum there, Spence. You can put that back there. And so, this is really the village there, and this is the uh, synagogue that's built from the second century. That is on top of the original. A synagogue where so many things happened there. The, the, the stretch forth your hand happened there, and uh, the casting out of a demon there who's, who uh, was trying to distract from Jesus' teaching. And uh, the sick woman with the issue of blood was walking through there and so many wonderful things. Peter, James, and John are are from five miles down the road there. But Jesus did uh, 80% of his miracles were uh, on this northern seaside coast and and everything that we read about. And so uh, it's a beautiful place. You can leave that up here now. Uh, he so from Isaiah's point of view, this great light would dawn on dead man walking. And so, yeah, I would say a great light. A great light indeed. The, the self-confessed light of the world. In a human body, the God-man decides to make his uh, dwelling place, the word, was with God. And the word was God and then the word became flesh and made his dwelling there with him with them I should say he with them and them with him that's an amazing thing to think that the God of the universe lives down your street. <laughs> you, know, that, you know, you're shopping next to God. He's pulling out some, you know, I'll take a few of these and a few of that. And I need this for my shop and all of that. And this is the one who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. By him, all things exist. And he upholds everything and holds everything together by his own power. Yeah, the light of the world, a great, dawn, a great light had dawned on those living in the shadow of death. Now, why did Jesus choose Galilee? That area there, dark and gloomy, as Isaiah said. And despised, it was despised because of the mix of ethnicities. But it was gloomy and dark because they had always been the brunt. When invading armies would come in, they would go first to, through the Galilee because there's no other way to get in. There's a river there along the Jordan. So they'd come in around the lake and then get in that way. And so they had been beaten down. There was a lot of idolatry and pagan worship and a, all kinds of unbelief and darkness. When he says it was a dark place, he's talking about minds and hearts. Uh, and uh, he, why did he choose Galilee to shine the light? Because Jesus goes where there, there's the greatest need. Have you not noticed that? Jesus is always going to the saddest heart, the heaviest burden, the greatest need, the biggest losers from society's point of view. Just follow through the Gospels and see who catches Jesus' attention. It's always the guy who goes to church and he's looking around. Who needs me? That's what he does. Oh, the guy with the withered hand or somebody who's demonized or a woman who's bent over. She can't stand up. His eye goes to the greatest need in the room because that's our compassionate God. And so that's what goes on when he's in the house. And so propelled by a sense of doom and gloom and death, the people there were attracted by this great message of light and hope and joy, and he says, a great message uh, light dawned on them. I don't know if you've ever longed for the dawn. Uh, on our bike trip to Los Angeles, uh, we took seven days and rode every day all day long, and we made it down to Los Angeles. But in the morning, you start at oh dark thirty, and it's dark. And cold, and you just rode 80 miles the day before, and you're <laughs> you just don't want to sit on that bike again in the cold, in the dark, you know. So you get your little windbreaker on. And it's misty, and it's foggy, and it's cold, and you want to go back to bed. And you're thinking, what have I done? <laughs> I'm the one who did this to me. <laughs> and you're just cranking up the first hill, and you know. And sure enough, you start thinking, where's the sun? Where I know it's coming. I know it's soon. And then it breaks forth. And you're looking at the horizon. And you see a little bit of light. And then the birds start chirping. And then it starts busting out. And it warms you up and it chases the fog away and wow, within an hour you are so glad and happy and relieved and these people of death hanging over their heads with no hope, a dead end street all of us it says into our lives the light comes as a dawn it's a beautiful thing and so What was the message of this beautiful, great light (laughs) had to give, repent, turn around. Now here, my good friends, is where the American gospel has taken a hard turn away from our Lord and Savior who came down from heaven, he said, to save the world. And he tells us to go forth and to make disciples of all nations, teaching them, to obey everything I've commanded. That's our task. He says, you go out there and you teach them to obey everything I've commanded. First and foremost, repent. Have a change of heart. Heaven is close. The gates are opening up. I'm taking your sins to the cross. There's gonna be a way to live forever. But first, nobody... We'll get through that gate without changing and being changed. Number one, repent. And today's gospel message is all are welcome and all are welcome. You're welcome to come and hear the message and be changed. Flesh and blood cannot enter. The kingdom of heaven, we have to be born again. That is a change. And the new life that comes once we're reconciled to God and have the Holy Spirit is a changed life from the life of living for self and sin and in darkness and in ignorance to God. So the devil has come up with an ingenious plan uh, to remove the the exit, the, 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 the fire escape from the building, as it were, as I mentioned last week, to have a heaven that comes near with no way to get in. And some of your loved ones and some of your friends have bought it. You just come the way you are because God loves you the way you are. They've divorced love from hate. There are things God hates mercy and grace from holiness. The Bible says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. You have to be changed. This is not just John the Baptist. This is not just Jesus. This is the first sermon on the day of Pentecost when the church is born. He says, repent of your sins. Have a change of heart. Let the Holy Spirit change you because you can't get in by just coming and sitting and saying, here I am with my natural inclinations and everything I am. And I know you love me this way and I don't need to change. If you think that it's Loving to pat somebody on the back and affirm them in a lifestyle where they will perish. That is not truth. (laughs) Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing. We set them on the right path with the requirement from God to change. And, And Paul says this, he lists a bunch of lifestyles in First Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. And he says, "I told you before, those who live this way unchanged, unrepented shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is not a popular message, so we've just changed it. Just come as you are. Give no thought. If the word does the world say it's okay, it's okay. Stop with the repentance thing. The last word in the New Testament is that they remain outside the gates because they refused to repent of their sexual immorality, of their witchcraft, of their sorcery, of their idol worship. That's the last word. The reason they're out and not in is because they refuse to do the first word, to repent, to change. And what's so terrible about turning your back on sin and darkness and, 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 and its consequences? It's a beautiful word. Turn around, the bridge is out. I, I love to hear that. Hey, by the way, the bridge is out. It's a really steep fall, you know, but you can turn around. Oh, I love that. Turn around, Okay. So let's move on. We've got Jesus preaching, and then he's calling. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, verse 18, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, doing their thing, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John, their dad's name Zebedee. They were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, preparing their nets, Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And so let's take a good look at this as well. So Jesus lights up the Galilee with the message, a life-giving message. Heaven gates are open. You need to repent. That's a great dawn. And now time to recruit some helpers. The first thing that happens when Jesus rescues our wretched souls out of sin and uh, judgment and death is is that those who have been rescued become part of the rescue effort with him. We are called co-workers with Christ. Christ's job is to seek and save the lost and he equips us, calls us, and we all do it in various different ways, some of full-time vocations, but here he is calling for some help. He calls us, that's what happens. Now, uh, in many ways, there's great insights here because the way God calls is the way God calls everyone, whether you're full-time vocational Christian service or not, because every Christian is called by God. Every, nobody ever came to themselves and said, you know, I think I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I kind of like this Jesus thing. You know, no, 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 We call on the name of the Lord because he's been calling to us. He's the initiator. His kindness leads us to repentance. He's been on the job for a long time before any of us just suddenly find the Lord. He has found us, and we respond. And so we can relate to this. Now, in fact... The call narratives in the scriptures really teach us a lot because of the the concise language, the urgency, and, and the abruptness of it. It almost doesn't sound very natural because the writers and the Holy Spirit is trying to say something about when God calls, we obey. Now, it teaches us that, really, uh, God's call demands a decisive break with business as usual. You may not change your vocations as these guys did, but you will change how you do your job and why you do your job. Everything will change because now you have a new employer. You have a new overarching career. Your career is to do the will of God. And that involves so many different things other than what you were doing, um, perhaps as a hairdresser. Or, I mean, we know a hairdresser who became a Christian. And she said, what a great ministry. I pray over people in my chair now. Um, You know, I I, uh, get to share the gospel when they open a door of opportunity, you see. And so you don't have to become a missionary. We are missionaries with the call of God. If God has called you, you're called into service to serve him. And what's his primary, what is on God's heart at the moment? People, hurting people, people who are lost, people, if they had a heart attack right now, you know some of these people. And it says to have the son, you will, you will have life. If you don't have the son, you shall not see life. For the wrath of God remains on that person because there are sins there, sins that are not paid for. So we have an obligation and he calls us in. Now, look at this. Does he call them? Look at the abruptness of it. Hey, you follow me. And the yes, sir. And they leave everything. You know, today's call is that we call God to come alongside of our lives and bless us in what we're doing, God. You see, that's called the prosperity gospel. The word of faith is that it's self-centered. You reach out to God, and God's job is to make you happy and to heal all of your diseases and take away all of your troubles and to make those fishermen lucrative, uh, lucrative business and wealthy. That's what today's gospel is out there in some places Your best life now, that's the purpose of the gospel, is your best life that God's like, here I am to serve you. Instead, what you see is you pick up your cross, you deny yourself, and you follow me, get behind me. I didn't come into this world, first and foremost, to give you the American dream and to uh, take care of all of... This, that, and the other thing, boy, we have it totally backwards. It's not our happiness that matters most or our hopes and dreams. And God help God when he crosses the line with one of us in that kind of mindset. You're here, God, to, uh, to assist me, to help me, to protect me, all my assets and, my, and my, uh, the things I care about. And when God fails to do so because God has a plan, then we write them off. Oh, I'm angry at God. Why? I'm angry at God because he didn't. See, that's the mindset. That he exists to serve us. Not that we exist to be called by him into his service, to pick up our crosses, to lose our lives and to follow him. When Christ calls a man, he calls him to die. Pick up your cross. And then as you die to yourself and this world and your sinful passions, you will be raised up to new life and you'll find who you are that way. This is the call of God that you don't hear about today. Oh, no, it's all about God serving us, making us happy so that we can find ourselves. Oh, my word, if you find yourself, watch out. And everybody near you, watch out. (laughs) One commentator, Dietrich, said, Jesus uses a little analogy these men would understand by inviting them to something very much worthwhile in the future. It's no longer a question of taking fish from the lake, but apprehending men's souls out of the abyss of sin and death catching them in the great net of God. That's what Jesus thinks. He says, I'm glad you're a fisherman. I'm glad you're a hardworking fisherman. I'm glad your business is successful. I'm happy for you. But there's something even more important than your fish and your line items and your balances and your savings. There's something more important going on. Human lives in your sphere of influence Either know me or don't know me. And I'm about seeking and saving the lost. Maybe you can widen your perspective of why you're here and what you do. And include me and and the mission in that understanding of what you do. He says, you will be casting the great net of God. I was talking to a, a young man who's obviously going back and forth. He hasn't been caught in the great net of God. He he keeps finding a loophole out of it. And I just told him, you know, dude, I I can see this happening to you, right? I can see God reeling in, trying to reel you in and get you to safety. Pity the soul who escapes the grasp of God and the great net of God to escape the great net of God is to plummet into the abyss he says come into my net stop jumping out of my safety wow so Matthew really cuts to the chase here by saying by leaving out any prior interactions did they have talked some conversations with Jesus before this of course they did the other Gospels have conversations before this happened. Of course, how could God expect you to commit to something you don't understand? They've met him, they know him, but there comes a time when you get your information, you have your revelation, God gives you time to think it over when God just calls and says, okay, you, come, follow me. And any Christian born again can relate to this. We get that. We get that. There's a time when nothing comes between that. And this is the call of God. One guy says, hey, my father's not dead yet. I hear your voice and all, you know. Let me go back. Wait till he dies. I'll lay him to rest then. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. I'm not calling them right now. I'm calling you. Trust me. You can't put mother and father. He who... Try this call today. He who loves mom and dad or children before me is not worthy of me. Your love for me ought to make your love for your parents look like hate. This is the call that Jesus gave. The call today is nothing like that. The call today is... is, Just start naming everything you want and expecting God. Just get out your prayer list and start calling him down. He's your little waiter. I want this, I want that, and this is how I want it. (laughs) Oh, man. No. (laughs) Where was I? (laughs) (laughs) So, yes, there comes a moment when he says, you follow me. and uh, There are sometimes... That's the last time a soul will ever hear that. That's why it's like immediately, that's why the Holy Spirit is saying they they got up. And by the way, Mark chapter one tells you they didn't leave their dad standing there. What am I supposed to do? They leave their dad, quote, with the hired men. There's hired men in the boats as well. You know, so God does have some common sense, right? So he says, uh, the closest ties, no matter what, your business commitments, what will I do? How can we move out? You know, she'll have no place and I'll have no place. We don't, we're living together but God's calling. Nothing can say, but excuse me, you know, my dad, my mom, my business, my boat, my sin, my natural inclinations. <laughs> no. Because Jesus knows it needs to be immediate because of the desperation of your situation. Hell. Hell. There are people today who are in hell because they let the little things like that get in the way of a response. And they thought, well, I'll respond tomorrow. And the devil said, exactly And then tomorrow comes, and he goes, how about tomorrow again? It's not like next year. You're just going to put it off one more day, and then you die. That's what he's hoping for. That's why it says, now, I've talked to a young Jewish man in the congregation. He says, I hear what you're saying. I went home, and I got my Hebrew Bible. And I just need to tell you, I've told you this before, I just need to tell you, your Bible and my Hebrew Bible are exactly the same. I go, (laughs) what a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, I've come to believe, but I'll never confess Christ publicly. I'm never going to do that. I said, bro, it doesn't work that way. He goes, are you kidding me? My parents will disown me and they'll disinherit me. And I said, Who would you rather disinherit you at the end? God cut you out of his will or your parents cut you out of their monopoly money? You know, I I don't know what his answer was. I think he was just thinking, are you crazy? But... Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father and the angels in heaven. But whoever disowns me in this life, I will disown them before my Father and the angels in heaven and everybody else looking around. This is the call. The call comes. We say, yes, Lord, and take our place to serve Him, denying self, picking up our cross and following him, amen? Amen. Last point, ready? So the light dawns and Jesus begins preaching the good news, repent. The second one, disciples are added, workers are recruited as Jesus begins calling and now evidence is provided as Jesus begins healing. Verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over, even to Syria, which is right next to Galilee. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from the Galilee, the Decapolis, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and the regions across the Jordan followed him. So we've got evidence is provided as Jesus begins healing. So Jesus and his helpers, his team, hit the road and they start vi- uh, <clears throat> visiting some of the synagogues <clears throat> where Jesus had a threefold ministry. Number one was teaching. There's teaching and there's preaching. Teaching. It's kind of a, you know, taking a text, explaining it, and applying it. Uh, transferring of knowledge for a point of application, right? This is who God is. This is what God's will is. This is what he teaches. This is how you should be reconciled to God. All of these things is teaching, right? Uh, preaching is... More dynamic, it's imperative. It's to act on the truth that you've been taught. Preaching is geared to life change. <clears throat> so the Messiah suffered. Let me teach you all the scriptures about the Messiah suffering. And then bam, we need to repent of our sins. We need to yield our lives to him. Well, Exhortation, that's more preaching. Now, to find a uh, and fast, Definition that causes them to be totally different. There's teaching and preaching and preaching and teaching. And I think you know, as in this very message, where I was teaching and where I was preaching. This message is a perfect example of how there's teaching and there's preaching. And they both work together. Now, Jesus began healing every disease and sickness. Every is a big word. There was nothing that God could not do. That was one of the points there because he's God and nothing's too difficult for him. But here's where the modern gospel has erred because it takes verses like these and uh, teaches us that if we have enough faith, that Jesus will heal every single disease, every single time. In fact, they lead with healing even before the reconciliation of your soul, which is so backwards because it's always preaching, it's always teaching, and then the evidence of God's um, power displayed. Now, let's talk about this. Though the mission of the Son of God is first and foremost saving souls, Jesus is full of compassion, delighted in relieving, uh, re- to relieve suffering. Now, why did Jesus heal? There are some, number one, because he's a compassionate and able God. And so he healed them. But according to Jesus' own words... The, mir- mir- the miracles were intended to provide evidence to back up his claim and help people put their trust in him. And so when Jesus came, there was no New Testament. Jesus did not quote one New Testament scripture. <laughs> Paul, the apostle, did not ever quote one New Testament uh, scripture. He did not. Right? So what do they have? They've had 400 years of prophetic silence. And then some guy shows up and says, I'm the light of the world. Anybody believe in me? Oh, you'll have the light of life. You'll never walk in darkness. If anyone believes in me, I have a couple of his claims here, three of them. He said to them, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. I'll satisfy every human being on the planet who's ever lived. You'll never be thirsty and longing after you've had me in your life. When Jesus speaks again to the people, he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And Jesus has the big provocative claim. I'm the resurrection and the life. A man is speaking. Of course, he's the God, man. I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even if you die. So the Bible says... To verify and bring credibility to these claims, Jesus did miraculous healings, right? Because any megalomaniac can say these words, but then he will say, and I have that scripture here, he will say, I want you to believe Don't believe me unless I can carry out God's work, unless I can do what only God can do. Don't believe me. But if I do what only God can do, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I've been doing, even if you don't believe me as a person, then you will know and understand that God the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. This is on uh, the same conversations where Jesus is claiming to be equal to God in every way. And so this is the purpose. The purpose is revealed right there. Now, i got a great quote about healing. In the ages to follow, rather than indiscriminately healing every disease, God has provided the scriptures and expects men to put their faith in Christ on the sole basis of the word of God. God can either heal diseases, and he does, or use them for his redemptive purposes, which he also does. We do pray and look to him to heal, but there are no scriptural grounds that God must heal every single sickness that comes our way. He can, and he does, but he doesn't always. We pray in faith and leave the outcome to him and his good plan. Every single time I've ever heard anybody, including myself, get a disease, we're going to pray that God heal you. Why not? He can, and he often does, and he often does not. But to live in a theology that says healing is guaranteed by the atonement is a False doctrine. That's a false doctrine. Why did Paul leave some dude sick? He says, I left Trophimus sick in Asia. What did he do that for? What's wrong with Paul's thorn in the flesh? There's lots of New Testament examples of how God didn't indiscriminately heal every single disease, right? That's just not it. And especially destructive, is to lead with it. Because listen, (laughs) Jesus said, Jesus said this, greater things will you do when I send the Holy Spirit? You think this is big? You're going to be doing even greater things. I dare one of you to tell me what's more great Then raising somebody from the dead, opening somebody's blind eyes. They were born blind, opening. You tell me, walking on water and (laughs) opening deaf ears and raising somebody who never walked in 38 years with atrophied ankles this thick. What's greater than that? He's saying we'll do greater. There's nothing greater than that, except when he goes to the Father and sends the Holy Spirit, our job is to preach the gospel. And when we preach the gospel, you're going to open eyes that never will close again in death. You're going to raise somebody not out of a wheelchair. You're going to raise them out of the abyss of eternal condemnation. That is greater, Jesus is saying, You want to do something greater than raise Lazarus from the dead? You will. Because poor Lazarus has to go back to the doctor in five years. And the doctor go, and the doctor go, oh, no, you know, I've seen this before. This looks familiar, Lazarus. And Lazarus is like, been there, done that. Do I have to do it again? Yes, you do. Because there's a gospel that is greater, that raises a man to life, then he'd never have to die again. He's going to live forever. Eyes that see forever. Ears that hear forever. Tongues that are loosed forever to sing God's praise. Greater things. So stop. Stop it with the focus on the temporal and the lesser. They're beautiful things and God can and does and says pray and ask and believe and we do but let's do it the way he says to do it in the right order with the right perspective with the right focus that i'm not going to walk up to somebody and say can i pray for your kidneys i'm preaching now but <laughs> This guy's telling me, and we walked up to a, a bunch of guys that we just, God gave me a word. I'm going to pray for your kidneys. Are you a back pain at all? You know, say, bro, go up and introduce the gospel, not his kidney functions. <laughs> oh, good. I'm so glad that he gets, yeah, gets a new kidney and then perishes. What is this thing with the backwards thing? Of course. It's the corruption. It's called the American gospel. It's called the satanic distraction from the most important thing of the eternal significance of the destiny of men's souls. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you for the simple scriptures that just... When we think about them, in light of what we're hearing all around us from our friends and family, something doesn't add up, and it's not the problem with your word, God. The problem is with this world and the changes they've made and the pressure they put on us and the the abusive things they say about us as we cling to your word, and we're loyal to you, God, And you have called us to be entrusted with the gospel once for all, sent to save us. We have to endure abuse and be called dumb and stupid and backward because we just take your word for what it is. And love sound doctrine and want to please you to watch our doctrine closely and our lives as well that we would be saved and blessed so help us lord now we pray to assimilate all these truths in light of we in light of what we've heard and put it to practice in jesus name amen you've been listening to the rocks podcast our regular services are held on sunday mornings at 8:30 and 10:30 a.m. in santa rosa california if you'd like to learn more please visit our website at cctherock.org